0: The effects of COVID-19 on the health of racial and ethnic minority groups is still emerging. However, current data suggests a disproportionate burden of illness and death among racial and ethnic minority groups. Black Americans represent 13.4% of the American
1: population, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. But counties with higher Black populations account for more than half of all COVID-19 cases, and almost 60% of death, a recent study found. I'm Dr.
0: Karina Oshteni. And I'm Dr. Pindele Erica Choa. And this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. Hello, hello, listeners. Welcome back to our show. Welcome
1: back, guys. I'm so excited to be back today. It's been a hot
0: minute. How are you, Erica? I am doing fine, girl. Just surviving every day. It's the same. Wake up, do this, do that, go to bed, do the same. So it's, it's <laughs> just on rest, repeat. Everything is just on cruise control right now, but otherwise doing fine. How are you doing?
1: I'm great, you know, living that COVID life. I'm excited, especially because we have a guest today. My dear friend Manuv is
2: here with us. How are you? Hi, ladies. I'm doing Thank well. You. I'm so excited <laughs> to join you guys on this podcast today. Welcome to our show. I cannot believe that it's been 12 years
1: of friendship. And here you Can are. Can
2: believe that? Oh, my gosh. Bus
1: <laughs> lady, you know, mm-hmm. you know, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So my name is Dr. Marnouf Damond. I am a board certified internal medicine physician, I also hold a master's in public health, along with a concentration in health policy. But those, my interest areas are disparities among African-Americans, particularly in the area of HIV. So that's kind of where I do a lot of my work these days, along with seeing patients and doing everyday normal primary care. So I'm so excited to be joining you guys today and talking about all things COVID and your ladies' experiences in your different areas of how things have been going for you the last couple of months?
1: It's been crazy. I tell you, like when we started this journey with COVID-19, I was not expecting this train we're on right now. I don't know how it is for you, Erica,
0: but it's been a fast moving train, just trying to hold on tight. It's amazing. It's it's crazy that we're here and just watching the news is like mind-blowing how many people have been affected by this global pandemic. Especially in our community, right? Yeah. I I, I think the the reason why, just a little context um, for our listeners, the reason why we really decided to stop and pause and have this recording, have this session talking about how COVID-19 has affected our Black community. Because, I mean, if you turn on the news, if you're reading articles now, it's pretty obvious that COVID has affected our Black community, our Latinos disproportionately than our white fellows. And so I think when Corinne and I were discussing if we should get a guest on the show, Dr. Dumont came up. And the reason she came up is because she has extensive work that she's done within health disparities, in particular working with HIV communities in Atlanta. And so I thought that there would definitely be some parallels that she could bring to this episode. So Dr. Dumond, we just can't wait to pick your brain, honestly. So yes, let's dive into it. Let's do it. So let's just start with our own experiences. We all are in different areas. I'm in the emergency department. Corinne, you are an OBGYN. Dr. Dumond, you are in primary care and public health. And so we all have different experiences. Corinne, what exactly has been your experiences with this pandemic and your patients?
1: Yes. So I remember when this thing first started, the main thing, what we were trying to do is to reach out to our patients and continue to take care of them as safely as possible. And what I remember was starting this process with telemedicine, right? Where we were hoping to get people our patients involved and reaching out to them making sure that we maintain their healthcare now what was really striking to me was that we had a difficult time especially with the latino and african american group mm. and it got me concerned because I realized that in addition to the underlying comorbidities that they were already dealing with, this new burden could be devastating, especially for our pregnant women. And I wasn't quite sure that at the beginning, I understood all the layers involved in the disparities that started to be displayed now in the news. And I'm really glad that we're having this conversation
0: because this, this is something that we need to talk about, you know? Can you can you elaborate on that? Um, I'm just gonna go back, because you said something. You said you found that this was difficult for your Latino and Black patients in your OB setting. What type of difficulties were you seeing?
1: Well, the first thing was that I
0: noticed a certain
1: mistrust of the system. When we were trying to reach out to them, what I felt especially, and I think that they were more comfortable opening up to me, was that they weren't quite sure that we were gonna take care of them properly reaching out through telemedicine. And then Mm. there was another layer that I picked up, which was the fact that some of them were uncomfortable with that platform. Mm. And I wasn't quite sure if it was culturally related or maybe with the lack of updated technology or Mm. the inability to Mm. use and navigate that platform. And uh, it's something that started to pop up here and there. And you can imagine when we have patients with high blood pressure, and diabetes mm. and they have to be monitored a little bit more closely. That was something that got me really concerned because I was worried about them falling through the cracks as mm. we were worried about overall, how we could maintain them in the system and, and taking care of them, but how we weren't able to communicate effectively at that
0: time, you know? Wow, 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 yeah. that's yeah. crazy, <laughs> that is crazy. Dr. Juman, can you sort of talk about your experiences in um,
2: your primary care setting and just what, what have you been seeing? Yeah, so like you ladies, this pandemic has kind of hit us by kind of blindsided, really. Initially, we weren't sure what to do. We were being told to social distance and to limit exposure to patients. And as you, Corinne, were doing telemedicine. I also oversee um, nurse practitioners and physician assistants, so we had to kind of rally and kind of decide as far as best practices would would keep us safe, our staff safe, as well as the patients. So we implemented telemedicine for sick visits, and we were working with the public health department to coordinate testing, because that was a lot of patients' concerns. You know, where can I go to get tested? Do I need to be tested? And for those who had continuing chronic mor- morbidities, such as diabetes and hypertension, how were they going to navigate this telemedicine space? Some of them were elderly and didn't have smartphones to be able to do it on their phones. Some of them didn't have computers. Some of them were just, there was a, technology barrier and that we would try and connect with them and we would have difficulties. So it was just kind of chaos in a sense in the beginning. And we really had to utilize what we call patient navigators to call patients if they missed their appointment and to remind them that, hey, it's not an in-person visit, it's over the phone and to kind of coach them through that so that None of our patients fell through the cracks, especially those who were chronically ill and who were more predisposed to having COVID. So on top of treating their regular conditions, we had to do a lot of education about what exactly is COVID, the best practices on preventing, pre- preventing getting the infection, and if they were displaying any signs or symptoms, where to seek help from. So how did it
1: manifest itself for you, Erica? Like the first wave that hit, did you notice anything that really stuck with you in the ER department?
0: Mm. So I think when this pandemic first hit, Atlanta and, and my practice it, it seemed like an equal opportunity virus And as the days kept going you started to notice trends about the people who are coming in, the people who are really sick with this virus. you started to notice pre-existing conditions diabetes, high blood pressure, diabetes, high blood pressure. But then at some point as the patients are coming in rolling in sick, getting admitted, you start to notice a trend you start to look and you say, oh my goodness, These people look like me. These people are, they have less resources, they have pre-existing conditions, they have certain jobs that they work in. And so you started to really start to see the layers involved in, in, in just this virus. And and it was shocking and heartbreaking, really. And Corinne, you know my personal experiences with the virus. and I We lost somebody, a member of our community to this virus, and it was yes. really heartbreaking. And I think once that happened, it was like, okay, this is hitting home. This is affecting yeah. us. And you know within my network within you know, people of color we are all going to know somebody we're going to scroll down our timeline we are all going to know somebody at some point who has died from this virus and i think that was that was really disheartening to see and it just unveiled all the disparities that exist in this country so just crazy yes. yeah
1: yes yes so it seems like Within our respective field, we started to notice a trend regarding the racial disparities unveiled through this pandemic, right? And it seems like there are a few factors that keep coming up. And I just wanted us to discuss them. Like from your experience, Manoo, what have you, what have you noticed in regards to those factors when it comes to COVID-19 and how they impacting this um, display of disparities?
2: It's tricky because sometimes people will say that, oh, this certain group didn't take care of themselves, that's why they're more predisposed, mm-hmm. or this certain group just doesn't care. But it really goes back to a lot of social, economic, and systemic factors that exist in this country far be- before COVID. Individuals in communities of color tend to have lower income jobs, jobs that don't offer sick paid leave. So even if someone is having symptoms or concerned about covid they don't have the leave to stay home and self quarantine they tend to live in more densely populated low income housing which leads to such factors as, it could be cultural, but there are such factors as multi-generational homes where there's elderly grandparent mm-hmm. living in the home, as well as young children, which for some cultures is just a part of their custom, but for other cultures, it's just financially the best option. So when you have an elderly patient living in a home with a maybe a middle-aged individual who's still going out to work, who can possibly bring that infection back home, it to their elderly grandparent, that's a real issue that a lot of communities of color face. Unfortunately, when we look at cities like New York and New Orleans, these densely populated communities, they don't have the option to kind of relocate to, to less densely populated communities that you can't tell them to pick up and leave. You can't tell them to stock up mm-hmm. on three months of supplies or when we were all doing that in the beginning, if you want a fixed income, it's just very difficult.
0: What you're touching on is, for sure, we see this in a lot of different areas, but you touched on just working conditions. In In New York, you see the subway workers who have died. You see the people who are working with public transportation have been affected. So the people who really don't have the luxury to stay home and do telemedicine, they're going to be at risk either are are just in the line of fire. They're constantly, constantly exposed. And then you touched on lack of healthcare insurance and lack of sick leave. Why don't we in this country in 2020, not everybody has sick leave. What is that about? And another thing that I I think is interesting, you talk about underlying health care conditions, you know, for some people, they can say, "Well, y'all need to stop eating, you know, your hamburgers. You need to stop eating this, and then you won't be obese. Then you won't be at risk for all these diseases." And I've seen it on my timeline from educated individuals saying, "Hey, this is why people are getting COVID because they're overweight, they're obese, and obesity leads to high blood pressure and diabetes, and that's what's going to kill you." This is complex. You know, we talk about food deserts. We talk about access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And touch on that a little bit, because, you know, people sometimes think that people choose how they eat and it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And that's a very, very important point that you bring up, Erica, is that sometimes there can be this blame associated with people's underlying predisposing conditions. And really, individuals just need to be educated on one, the history of this country, on how the policies that were put in place kind of disproportionately affected communities of color that there were redlining policies that didn't allow communities of color to buy into certain areas. And they were forced to spy and stay in areas that were not economically beneficial to them, where they were food deserts when they had to take buses to get to the nearest grocery store and who wants to lug groceries on a bus. So it's, it's a lot of education and a lot of understanding that a lot of the things that are in place today is related to a lot of the policies, maybe from 40, 50 years ago, but are still impacting communities of color. You touched on food deserts. The other things is access to higher education, just other just socioeconomic factors that affect your health. It's not just, just your individual medical condition, but a lot of things affect your health. Your ability to sustain a good job so that you can get health care insurance. Racism is a very big issue in this country that we continue to struggle with today that unfortunately affects all areas of our life, especially our health. Just the medical mistrust that exists among communities of color due to kind of some of the practices our countries put in place several decades ago. So it's a very complex issue.
0: I think to me, this pandemic in a sense kind of is reminiscent of the ongoing epidemic that hit the African-American community about 25 years ago, you know, HIV. What are some parallels that you can kind of draw from COVID?
2: Uh, so there's a, it's a lot of similarities. I would say one that both of the diseases are infectious diseases, or to say that you the other one would be the population that's most impacted, and the other underlying issues that are associated with the disproportionate impact among African Americans being the things that we touched about, racism, medical mistrust, access to resources. A big thing within the HIV population is that we have great prevention prevention methods that prevent you from getting the virus, but among the African-American and communities of color, including Latinos, that uptake hasn't been that great because they just don't have access to those resources. We in public health aren't reaching them and engaging them where they are so they not coming into care before they get the virus or before they come in contact or have any sort of high-risk exposure or behavior. So I feel like paralleling the two, COVID and HIV, we see a lot of similarities in that sense that both Communities of color are impacted and there's a lot of socioeconomic issues that is driving that.
1: Do you find that when looking at the HIV population and thinking about COVID-19, do you find that there is a certain level of of stigma or fear associated with that?
2: Yeah, I guess uh, with HIV inherently, the stigma is associated with maybe some high risk practices that people may deem to be taboo per se. Or that people who have HIV or get HIV are sexually promiscuous or drug users and that sort of thing. And that I would say with COVID, I think initially there was a lot of fear surrounding it because when we didn't know where this virus kind of came out of nowhere, people felt like if you got it, you got the plague, stay away, you have to self-quarantine, you can't be around others because you're gonna transmit this deadly virus. And I feel like, A lot of the stigma associated with both the both HIV and COVID is really due to lack of knowledge surrounding Mm. the infections and how they're transmitted and how you can be in a completely monogamous relationship and get HIV. You don't have to be engaging in high risk practices. And on the flip side with COVID, there's nothing personally that you caused yourself to get COVID. You could have just contracted it from going to work or interacting with other co-workers. So I just felt like a lot of the stigma that are associated with these infectious diseases is due to just poor education and maybe a lot of hearsay and rumors that are going around.
1: So Erica, in the ER setting, have you noticed that patients present with a little bit of mistrust of the system or fear that they may not be taken care of properly if they were to show up to be evaluated?
0: I mean, for sure. In in the news, the the articles, there's patients who have gone into hospitals and have been refused testing and have had to go in several times before getting admitted or or having to be taken seriously. And that's not just in COVID. That's in many, many, many different uh, health care health conditions. So I, I think ultimately when I do get my patients who come into the emergency department. Most of them are scared. They're terrified. And for the most part, when they see me, when they see my face, I do think that they have a sense of reassurance, they feel a little bit more reassured. And I try to uh, check my bias, and I really encourage providers to do that. But so much implicit bias exists in the healthcare system so much. And it mm-hmm. starts from how people are raised. It starts from what conversations happen in the people's homes. And so for me, being a woman of color, I have experienced implicit bias even as a patient. And so when I deal with patients myself, I have to try and check my bias and really sit down and listen to the patient and listen because many people come into the uh, hospital and are scared. They're scared they're going to die. They're scared I'm going to ignore their symptoms. They are scared that they're just going to be another statistic that they don't matter. And so Yes, I've observed that. And I don't know the experiences that other providers have had, but definitely I can see that it is... Undeniable that it exists. And which kind of brings me to a, a point about what providers can do in order to mitigate some of these conversations and this bias and just how to navigate cultural differences. I think we've seen that people who are from certain racial and ethnic minority groups have had their encounters with the healthcare system. And so, maneuver what can providers and public health professionals do? when trying to educate the public about COVID or even just have these conversations with their patients about COVID? That's a great
2: question. I liked how you brought up the point about implicit bias. Um, I think that is very prevalent. Everybody has it. And I think in the healthcare field, we try and um, kind of uphold a standard that we're honorable, that we may not have biases, that we treat every patient the same when we know from research that that's not always the case. So I think when engaging the public, especially communities of color, which are most impacted by this, we have to, one, be mindful that we may be carrying some of that. And two, to make sure that we listen to the patient's concerns, listen to the patient effectively to communicate not to them, but also have them be open enough to communicate to us.
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. So cultural biases, something that we have to be very aware of. But you know something also that I'm finding out is, which goes to the point that you just raised, is while listening to your patient, practicing active listening, I'm learning a lot about the issues that might be going on at home that are preventing them from reaching out or even being completely engaged in their healthcare. And one particular example that comes up often is in the preparation of delivery. How do you organize yourself with the kids that you have at home, knowing that you can no longer have the support system in the hospital because of the restrictions? I find that super enlightening to actually ask those patients like what is your living situation right now at home and how can i understand it so that i can provide you with the services that we that will be actually useful to you as an individual and your family in order for you to show up when i need you to show up and to stick and understand the the risk to stick to the restrictions that are being put in place to keep you safe
2: yeah, that's an awesome, That that is definitely a commendable for you because a lot of patients feel like we don't care about their economic issues, that we're just here to take care of their health, which sometimes healthcare providers' hands are tied that we don't have resources to help patients. But I feel like patients just knowing that you care about whether or not they have help and support at home while they're in the hospital, whether or not, Maybe a significant other was laid off because of COVID or maybe they have an elderly patient at home who they're concerned about potentially getting. So I feel like just asking that question gives a little layer of connection with the patient. So that way they feel that you're invested in their whole person and not just, you know, maybe the acute medical issue issue what can our
0: listeners do guys you know we're talking about what we can do as healthcare professionals and public health workers what can our listeners do as we walk away from this conversation
1: to be honest if i'm listening to us right now the question that comes up is what can i do you know my living conditions are what they are
2: mm-hmm.
1: my work conditions are what they are mm-hmm. and i still don't have health care insurance so What do you want me to do, really? And that can be disheartening to whomever is listening out there, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: That's
1: a a, a, a a tough tough one. one. (laughs) It is. It is, you know, we, but we we have to be honest. It's a difficult it's a difficult spot to be in. But I'm hoping that in being aware of your risk factors and how we can decrease them, and following the the current guidelines, seeking medical care, it's, it's, and sharing and reaching out to your provider if you have any signs of symptoms of COVID, you can help prevent the spread of COVID-19, not only for yourself, but also for people around you, right? So that's, that's my hope that we were able at least to convey that and empower you by listening to us today. Yes,
2: very well said, Corinne. And I would just end by saying that the messaging among the mass media and and everything would say that African-Americans and community color are just disproportionately impacted. And that ultimately, I feel like that message needs to be spent to a more message of resilience and proper education to know, yes, that you are at higher risk Especially if you carry curtain chronic um, conditions and to know that, you know, you didn't put yourself at that risk, that there's unfortunately underlying issues in place that increase that risk for you. But don't get disheartened. I would say continue to educate yourself by speaking with your healthcare practitioner. Don't just ignore the warnings and just write them off, but speak to your healthcare practitioner. If you don't have one, you can seek one out through the public health department, it would be the best place to start. And just educate yourself and protect yourself. Stay safe, stay home if you can. If you're not an essential worker, stay home and limit your exposure to the public as much as possible.
0: And please, please, please wear a mask. I know there's a lot of information out there and everybody is, there's people protesting over the wearing of masks. And I would just say, if you're going into a crowded space, you're going to the grocery store for the sake of other people, if not for yourself, for the sake of other people, please wear a mask. If you don't have access to a mask, there are many YouTube videos that will show you how to make a mask with the household items that you have. So that's where I wanna leave that, wear a mask, please.
1: So as we are closing today, we just wanna leave you with a quote. And this quote is from Dr. Lawrence Brown, PhD, from the University of Wisconsin. And it says, When we say at-risk populations, we aren't just looking at the people, we are looking at the conditions that people are placed in and the health outcomes that are a reflection of that. And I think it sums up pretty nicely the conversation we
0: just had today. Dr. Dumont, we just want to thank you for coming on the show. It has been a pleasure catching up and just hearing your experiences and we really hope you
2: can come back and join us again. Oh, this was so fun. Thank you, ladies, for having me. It was just a powerful discussion, and I hope, you know, to be back.
0: Thanks for joining us. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> well, I just want to tell you guys, listeners, please, please, please subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And also follow us on Instagram, Doc underscore Let's Chat, and also follow us on Facebook. Thank you so much. My name was Dr. Pindula Erica Choa. And I'm Dr. Karino Shtani. And this is hey Duck, let's, let's
1: chat.
2: chat.